Yeah, so um, it's called Pan Curious George. Um, <laughs> hi, everybody. Um, I'm here with Stephanie. Stephanie, would you like to introduce yourself, say some things about yourself? Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm a baker slash cook slash stand-up comedian who moved to New York City right before the pandemic. Holy crap, really? I, wow, I didn't know all that before <laughs> I asked you to introduce yourself and say some stuff. That's cool. That explains why you're hilarious. Um, Stephanie is also brilliant. Uh, she got bored of law school and decided that she was going to, like, make food. And I was just like, that's that's awesome. I love that you didn't find law school too hard. You found it not interesting enough. Um, but, yeah, we were here talking about... I guess, concepts and sticking them in vacuums or, or sort of like the relational purpose of language, um, or the, well, actually, no, I guess we're talking about the purpose of language. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's purpose is more relational contextual or more like individualized organizational and which way of thinking about language is more limiting or more expansive. Yeah. And it was fascinating because part of us, uh, part of the conversation, um, was like a discussion of how, there are things that exist linguistically that we can't really, I mean, not that we can't really understand, but that without the current science that we have, we couldn't really um, prove. Mm. But where like other cultures might have said like, oh, the trees are talking and people would be like, trees don't talk because (laughs) trees don't talk in the way we understand. We now know that like trees communicate in electrochemical fashions and like, um, they communicate like orally when I say like orally, like a U like sound. So Mm. like they can hear each other um, and they can hear what's happening to the other trees. So if there's a drought, the trees, uh, as they, as they experience the hydraulic popping of the other trees, right? The tubes inside of them breaking, uh, the trees send messages to each other to let them know that drought is coming from X direction. The forest knows that it's running out of water. Mm. Um, and it's like fascinating because we don't know if the trees have feelings about it, but we do know that the trees talk about it, right? Um, and then there was the whole thing where it's like, theoretically, if I could figure out how to communicate the electrochemical um, signal for uh, drought, I could tell a forest that there was a drought. And we would probably see the forest react as if there was a drought coming. We would see what the trees do, perhaps, uh, if it's a thing that's observable to us. But it's it's sort of strange because... Like, there are so many things that happen out in the world where there's a word for lion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was one of the examples we had that we have. And then other languages have words for lion, presumably, if they've encountered the concept of a lion. But then there are animal concepts for lion where it's like, lion is this fearful sound, right? This thing eats us. Or a lion is the sound uh, of the thing that eats the thing that eats us, right? So grass talking about lions coming to eat gazelles and they're all cheering for lions so lion is savior whereas the gazelles are like ah we're about to be made into lunch lion is predator um yeah well so that goes back to the the thing of language being inherently contextual because would it even be useful for us to learn tree language or plant language because those languages would be completely dependent on what you need to be a tree or what you need to be a plant like, it's not, like, this discrete, like, scientific classification. It's all going to be functional. Right. And perhaps it's all entirely functional to us because how could we imagine what it is to be philosophically a tree, right? <laughs> like, maybe there's all kinds of shit that trees say that has nothing to do 
like trees are talking about the weather and we, we can see that they're talking about the weather. Mm-hmm. But the tree experience of talking about the weather is, oh, so much sun today, food. And the mm-hmm. other, you know what I mean? And like, and we don't know that they have a positive experience of this. We just know that they, they're saying, you know, sun. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's so fascinating. Well, so what is language if there's no emotion to it? That's a question that I ask myself all the time because I I ran into this problem where I was discussing things with people and I... They would say, like, oh, I, I have an objective opinion. And I'm like, you can have an opinion about something that is, like, an objective observation. But, like, you have a subjective experience of it. It would be, like, an intersubjective relation to talk about it, right? We would use language. Language is an intersubjectivity. Mm-hmm. Because even though language objectively exists, like, we both have our own experiences of it. And we both have our own assumptions of what words mean. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, and I, I've kind of, like lost myself a little bit <laughs> by starting to say that what did you just say oh well we were talking about um oh is what would it mean to have a language without emotions oh and what i've run into is this problem where when the person says i have an objective opinion often what they're trying to relate is like a fact right mm-hmm. or like a piece of data mm-hmm. um i think that they think is uh is making it so that whatever it is that they're saying can't really be contested, right? Mm. Um, they're, they're like, trying to... Well, it's because it's defined in opposition to some other opinion that's inherently subjective. Yes. And it's, it's like, no, you can't really do that. Like, an opinion is... It's, it's a subjective experience. Right. Um, and you're choosing it because you have an emotional preference, mm-hmm. right? So, like, one of the problems that people don't realize is that if you were to inhibit somebody's emotional experience, uh, quantitative data is no longer objectively better or worse than qualitative data. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're like, oh, well, I don't want to spend as much money. It's like, well, why does spending more money or less money matter in, uh, in relation to my enjoyment or lack of enjoyment of the experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're sitting here thinking about, like, quantitative data, and you choose quantitative data because you have less emotional reactions, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the value system has numbers and you prefer knowing that you can choose bigger or smaller numbers. That is an emotional preference. It is calming to you, de-stressing, settling to you, right? It is comfortable to you yeah. to well, deal with that. Desire for like stability because it's going to be more consistent. Yeah. Well, and is there a difference between something being subjective and something being in context? Because I would think for something to be truly objective, it would have to be decontextualized. And is it possible to make any observation that's completely decontextualized? Well, I feel like observation itself is a context, right? Like, like it's weird to even, and maybe this is a linguistic problem, mm-hmm. but like, it's weird to even have the idea of like the vacuum, like we were talking about earlier, like, we have this experience of decontextualizing things or atomizing things like in, in the West of like, well, it's this, not that, right? Mm-hmm. It's this unto itself. Well, but you just said this, not that, which is inherently contextual. Right, exactly. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what we do in the West. We, we are like, we're trying to solve our sex lives and we're like five easy steps to fixing your sex <laughs> life. And it's like acting like each of the five steps, right, is this one thing that you're going to do that's going to fix your sex life. When in reality, it's like, 
this whole combination of things that you've done to like improve your relationship with another person is what's mm-hmm. fixing your sex life theoretically. Yeah. And well, like, and it presumes that there's a start and end to that process yes. and not an ongoing process. Exactly. And it's like, it, it's like even this idea that like we can break things apart. Yeah. We're contextualizing things as separate pieces of a whole, mm-hmm. right? We broke it apart. Yeah. We, it's a whole. So it's like, it's weird. It's like, to put it in the, in the in the vacuum bubble, right? I have to make a concept space for this bubble of vacuum to exist in mm-hmm. where this thing is not being related to in any specific way by anything else, I suppose. Like, I can't even decontextualize it without creating a context for it to be decontextualized. Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's so strange. I'm sure some people would argue that, like, well, I can do that. It's like, cool, but could you relate it? Yeah. Well, because the less contextual something becomes at some point it becomes also harder to apply. Right. Like when you develop formulas in like physics or economics, you make all these assumptions of like, well, there's no friction or everyone eats Mm -hmm. the same amount of mac and cheese every day or Mm -hmm. mac and cheese is the only food on the market or there are only guns and butter. So at some point... (laughs) There are only guns and butter. Keep going. You know, like the formula, like guns versus (laughs) butter, how like countries do their budgets. Um, But so you have to simplify things to make them that kind of quantifiable consistent but the more you distill it the less useful it becomes so there's like the give and take so you some you distill it down to the very decontextualized but then you have to take it all the way back yeah it's it's nuts i don't remember who said this but there's this like some scientist was describing models and he was like look every model is wrong but some Mm -hmm. models are useful he's Mm -hmm. like I think he said most models are wrong because even to say every model is wrong would add his model of modeling into the thing and then he would be like, I'm wrong. Is that a model? I don't know. It's like his, his way of thinking about it, right? Because he's got a mental model to express it. I think anytime you create a sentence, you're, you're abstracting your experience and it's becoming its own little mental model of like, of expression. Oh my. <laughs> it's weird, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he said that and I thought it was the funniest thing because it's like, He's like, and then there's the problem of, like, parsimony, where people will get so specific and they'll, like, create this really specific model that, like, is perfect, but it only relates to this one instance and only so many people can understand it because they have to go this deep into this, like, body of work or into this way of thinking Mm -hmm. to, like, use it. So he's like, yeah, it's like, I mean, like, rocket scientists can do some really cool shit, but, like, it doesn't apply to any of the rest of their lives for the most part. Yeah. It's like, it's like if yeah. you go on to like the late night infomercials and you buy like every tiny, very specific kitchen tool, like you have an avocado slicer mm-hmm. or you have like a carrot peeler and you have like the separate things for everything. And at some point it becomes useless because you just have so many tools versus like if you had like one knife that could do 10 different things, yes. it might not be perfect at all those things, but ultimately you're going to be more effective because you're not going to be spending all your time looking for the avocado peeler. <laughs> right. And that's so funny. And you know, honestly, now I'm thinking i feel i feel attacked um <laughs> do you do you own an avocado slicer no i it's so funny i because i spend a lot of time thinking about ways to communicate with people effectively to the point where i have so many tools for communicating with people that i don't remember them when i need them mm-hmm. i'll be using one model of communication to like solve a problem where it's like oh I'm going to preempt this problem that I have with this person that I love by telling them about how I recognize that we are potentially starting down a path of something that will cause me to shut down. Mm -hmm. And they're hearing, hey, asshole, 
you're going to make me shut down if you keep acting the way you're acting. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm letting you know that I, 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 might, I might withdraw from you um, because I don't want to upset you by continually offering you something I, I'm getting that you don't want. Mm-hmm. And I don't want you to think that I don't want to offer it to you someday. Like maybe it's like you like that I'm offering, but I need you to tell me that you want me to keep offering and I need you to accept that it's okay for me to be rejected by you mm-hmm. the next 5,000 times I offer this <laughs> over the course of our life, yeah. right? Um, but I also could just keep offering it and then maybe they might blow up at me and be like, why do you keep offering this that you keep saying no to? And it's like, oh, well, because you never told me to stop asking you and I just wanted to trust that, you know, you would eventually express that. Hmm. Maybe not in this explosive way that you're having because yeah. you're having a bad time and it's unrelated to actually my, my asking. It's related to your having a shitty time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see that, but when you do that, right, you kind of accidentally have attempted to solve a problem without the other person. And then they, uh, depending on where they are internally, that can be a weird moment for their ego that like, oh, you, so you're telling me you saw that I was going to blow up at you one day coming and you've just been waiting for this moment, like for whatever. Mm. And you couldn't just tell me. So you were either, I was either going to piss you off today by telling you that that moment could happen, or I was going to experience that moment. You were going to feel bad that I saw it coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. Well, you like preempted their communication and then ended up changing. Yeah. So. And it's, it's funny. It's like you read too many, too many books about human interaction and suddenly you like, you recognize patterns like coming in other people's relationships. And if you recognize it coming in another person's relationship and you say, Hey, um, I noticed that you and, you know, Casey have been doing this, um, uh, a trick that you might be able to employ is to um, offer it in this way instead, considering that each time you offer it, um, you're offering it from a place of recognizing she has a problem. But if you offer it beforehand, like offer to like tell her she can help or she can she can ask you for help with this kind of thing rather than waiting for you to, you know, not be paying attention while she needs help. Mm-hmm. Then she knows to ask you before you're off in the corner doing something rather than like, making herself feel guilty about asking you while you're busy, yeah. right? And it's like you going and saying like, hey, one of my friends said that I should let you know that I love you and I want to help you, so you should tell me when you're going to need help so that way you don't have to worry that I don't want to help you mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're afraid to ask, right? right? And it's like suddenly it's like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, you talk to your friends about how to improve our relationship? That's so lovely. But if you're just sitting here, like, thinking to yourself, how do I solve this problem that this bitch is going to cause for me in the future? <laughs> that's how, you know, because people, people can just interpret it however. And right. that's, it's so, it's interesting to me. Well, I think some of those tools are only going to be useful if both people sort of know and understand them. Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we assume that, like, I can fix the conversation, the communication between the two of us by going and develop all of these communication skills myself. Mm-hmm. And then I can carry, like, bring this conversation up into this different way of communicating. But if the other person doesn't also have that skill, it may not mm-hmm. work. It's like if you're someone who hasn't learned or practiced active listening and someone starts active listening to you, it can be, like, weird and annoying. Mm. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> But if you both understand how active listening works and the purpose behind it, then it can be really useful. Mm. I was going to say, I had this one relationship where me engaging in active listening was triggering to my partner because it made her feel like I wasn't listening. 
because I would like talk to her about what she had just said and she'd be like that's not what I said and I'd be like mm. no no I'm just making sure that I understand you and she's like well if you're paying attention wouldn't you understand and I'm like oh shit like how is this going so wrong <laughs> well then that was probably actually useful because it sounds like you were misunderstanding and if you hadn't said it back to her she wouldn't have known that you misunderstood right and it's it's so interesting like whether I was understanding or not sometimes like sometimes I would ask her because I wasn't sure if I understood that thing you just said could you say it again in like different words I'm not sure if I understood it and that would sometimes trigger a I don't believe that you were listening moment that's such a hard thing to respond to can you say that in different words because that could mean anything right well when you put it in different words isn't gonna it gonna mean something slightly different it might, right? Can you say the exact same thing in different words? <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's so interesting. Like, I was like, I, these words, and maybe if I had said, so some of the words you said have a specific context for me, um, and I'm not sure if they are positive or negative. Mm. So can you like say that again and uh, maybe use a different word for this so that I can tell, or maybe was that a positive or negative thing I didn't understand, right? Mm. And it's, it's interesting thinking about those moments that I've had, you know, with certain people versus like, you know, oh, versus nonviolent communication. Because nonviolent communication is, have you ever engaged in like that practice of nonviolent communication where you say like, um, when you do X, I feel oh, like the I statements. X. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you start taking personal responsibility for how you are feeling as a result of what a person is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you explain why perhaps. And I remember being in a relationship with somebody who hated that. They were like, they thought it was the most manipulative, narcissistic bullshit I ever could have pulled, like trying to control their understanding of my experience of them or something like that. And I was Mm. like, how is this going so horribly? (laughs) Like, Mm. it's like, I'm telling you, like, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm saying that your behavior, I interpreted it in this way. And I don't want you to feel bad that you're doing anything, whatever. I just need you to understand that, like, I'm, I keep interpreting in this way. I need you to explain that it's not that way or something, right? Yeah. Well, I think we've got, like, this association because, like, the I statements is, like, a very kind of ubiquitous thing we talk about. And it's sometimes when you come to the conversation, you're the one using these, like, these tools. It sounds like you are the person who's, like, developed or whatever. And you're like, I'm handling this maturely and responsibly and you're acting out of emotion, but I'm going to be the bigger person and use my fancy tools. And so then the other person's like, can you not just be in this moment and talk to me and not use all these tools? Yeah. And it's like, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm trying, but like the last time I had this conversation with you, I, I accidentally made you feel shitty because I just withdrew in the way that I normally would when I approach something that looks like a problem for the other person. Cause I grew up with like narcissistic personalities who mm-hmm. tried to control how I saw them etc cetera, etc cetera. and like I don't know how to relate to you and it's just like but I'm trying to lovingly relate to you yeah. and it's like and it's so funny how like there's so many conversations I've had with a person or with anybody where I'm like look I would actually like to just stop talking not because I'm like afraid of the conversation or I'm upset or anything like that but like I, I'm here to enjoy your experience or to enjoy the experience of you And so frequently I run into this problem where because of how you think I'm supposed to interpret you, like you think that I'm judging you, shaming you, Mm. mad at you, upset by you. I hold an opinion that makes me think less of you, 
When in reality, I'm just sitting here open and curious to know whatever it is you're willing to share. Mm-hmm. And I've been waiting my whole life for somebody to just be at peace with me being curious about everything about them. Mm-hmm. Because that's just how I am. I'm just like, you could tell me literally anything about yourself and I would just sit here and be like, cool, tell me more. Yeah. Well, I think that goes back to the thing of like, is communication inherently emotional and related to that? Is all communication inherently like value laden? Like when you were talking earlier, you're like, I know what your words mean, but is that positive or negative? And I think that gets to that ability of like, can you communicate something without the value? And how useful is that communication without the value piece in it? Mm. I wish you could. I think that like... Well, I think what you could, would be the point of that? One of my friends was talking about um, encoding and decoding in like the first episode of this podcast. And mm-hmm. he was talking about how we, we try to encode a message and then a person has to decode the message. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a part of my brain that no matter what I'm saying to you is like, the undercurrent is, I'm trying to connect to you in a positive way. Mm. right like that's just how I feel most Mm -hmm. of the time like it doesn't matter how pissed off I look like I'm just trying to get back to a point where I'm like but I'm trying to connect with you in a positive way I'm trying to get build a better understanding of how you see the world I'm not trying to judge your understanding of how you see the world I'm trying to under I'm trying to like to make sense of it and so many people like have not been like I don't know It, it for me so many people I've interacted with have had a negative response to that Mm -hmm. when they don't perceive me to be agreeing with them. Mm. Right. Like I may not agree with you. I may not understand you, but I'm still having a positive experience of trying to connect to you. Yeah. Like internally, Mm -hmm. but it's, yeah, it's, and I wonder like, what, what do they think is happening? Well, I think even when you're, when you're having like a building up or positive connection building, there's this sense of where it's starting from. Is it starting from consensus or is it starting from a deficit? Like, is it purely constructive or is it reparative in some way? Because if it's like reparative communication, no matter how much it's building, you're still constantly acknowledging and wrestling with that deficit. So there's Mm. still going to be that kind of painful conflicty bit to it. True. To use a very technical term. Yeah, no, that's, and that makes perfect sense. It's just, it's like, it's so funny because part of me is like, and I think it's just, I, I've done too much Buddhism, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I just did lines and lines of Buddhism in my youth. Just a Buddhaholic. Yeah, I guess. Nirvana junkie. Yeah, I just, I'm just high on my own supply. Um, but like, I just, I, I, I literally view like, like life humanity reality is just a gift and like any moment I get with a person for me I like to I I did this process of of for maybe like a couple months I was like my yogic intention is joy right Mm -hmm. and then I had like a yogic thought process of non-belief so it's like I'm going to consciously relinquish like attachment to the belief that I'm holding Mm-hmm. And to allow myself to play with the possibility of the belief that you are offering me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will just accept it. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to fight it, whatever it is. And like, so I, I get into these spaces where I'm like, no matter what is happening in the room with me, I'm just like, oh, but this moment is a gift. Mm-hmm. So like, I could be sitting there with somebody and we could be having a horrible, horrible fight. And I'm just like, hmm, reality is offering me the opportunity to know what I do not want to be doing with this person. <laughs> right? 
Um, like, I'm just like, oh, I, I can see how people in your life have caused you to suffer. And I can see how I cause people to suffer. And this is a gift because I can choose to not consciously opt into creating this kind of suffering again. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's the moment I'm having. I'm like, can I be grateful for anything that is happening to me? And I love it. But I also recognize that like it, it is, it's potentially alienating to people because they're not used to a person sitting here in the moment of conflict, being grateful that conflict is happening, which sounds kind of sick, right? It sounds kind of like a sick thing to be grateful for the conflict. But at the same time, it's like if I was removed from the conflict by five years and I was like, you know what I'm really grateful for? The moment that Steve and I had that one fight (laughs) and then we've, we solved the problem Um, one day. You know what I mean? Like, but I, I've been like, I did this, what I sometimes think of as a stupid thing where I tried to make it so that I was like, can I in each moment always carry that gratitude? And it's like, that's a thing you do for yourself. You can't make it happen for anybody else. And I think trying to make it happen for other people is like trying to fix their experience of reality. Um, And it can be interpreted that way. Well, and I think one thing that could be frustrating about that for other people is the lack of contrast. Like if every moment is a gift, is it a gift in the same way to the same extent? Like, if we're having, like, a wonderful, like, amazing day, amazing experience, and you're just as grateful for that as you are the time we were in, like, a fight, that might be really frustrating to me. Maybe I worked together, worked really hard to put together this amazing day, and you would be just as happy if we were screaming at each other? Well, then what did I do all this work for? You know, you bring up an excellent point. No, I get it. Yeah, for me, it's like... So maybe at least acknowledging degrees of gratitude. Yes. um, I would say acknowledging degrees of... So for me, I'm like, you put in all this work to make a wonderful day, and I am so grateful. Like, you made me this wonderful breakfast, and I'm so grateful for it. You could have just... I didn't mean today. No, no, I I know, I know. But I'm just saying, like, like, that's how I felt, though. I was like, you could have made nothing, and I would have just been just as grateful that you had let me be here as, like, you doing... (laughs) The stuff and I'm like ah oh, that's amazing this is wonderful because like each time a person does something I get to be happy that it happened and each time a person doesn't do something I get to be happy that you know I kind things have happened for me and that like I'm still like I don't know I injured my back the other day and I was so happy that like I could still sort of dance even though I was like really in shit tons of pain and like like, I remember people being so confused that I was just, like, smiling and chilling. I was like, man, I am so grateful for all the moments where my back was not in awful, awful pain. Or, like, oh, man, each time I move, I just remember how grateful I am, like, for all the times where I don't have to think about my movement, because whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, not like in a, I'm not in this moment suffering, but, like, in a, I am in so many different moments at once. Like, my past is not, like, this faraway thing. Like, it's my now. So, like, like, if I were to think about all the gr- great things you've done for me um, in a terrible moment, it would make me go, you know what, this terrible moment is happening, and I am grateful that I have had so many positive moments with you. Like, I've had, I've had moments where, like, I'm fighting with somebody, or, like, somebody's, like, you know, cut me out of their life for some reason mm-hmm. or another, and I'm just, like, I'm grateful for all the moments that I did have with you, and I'm sorry that, like, you're probably going to experience me as, like, this person who doesn't care about you who's an asshole or something like that, but... I will always experience you both as the person who cut me out of their life and as this person who provided me with so many wonderful things to remember. Like, I just, it's hard for me to 
Like, because I can always recognize that a bad thing is happening. I can always recognize that a good thing is happening. But that doesn't mean that I have to... For me, that's like trying to remember to be really excited about light and really upset at darkness Mm -hmm. when I only have light because I have darkness. Like, the relationship Mm -hmm. of light and darkness is why I have light or darkness. So, like, I'm I'm grateful for either. Yeah. Always. And that's, I think, confusing. Yeah. Well, I think also just the concept of gratitude has a lot of baggage around it the way we talk about it Mm -hmm. like i hate when people talk about like gratitude journals and stuff i know it's so helpful for some people but i hate it and i think i know why Mm. it seems like the way some people talk about their gratitude is almost like a disallowal or like denial of permission to acknowledge and experience the negative emotions that Mm. it's somehow inherently better or more evolved to only engage with positive emotions even in times of distress and I oh, think there's mm. so much like be positive culture where we like don't feel entitled to our negative emotions. I feel you on that. I, I hate the good vibes only thing that happens yeah. with people. Um, and this so is... I think sometimes when we hear some people being like, ah, I'm <clears throat> suffering. But like I, I used to work with this this guy who like no matter what was going on in his day, he would just be like, every day is a blessing. And would almost say it like aggressively. And oh, like, that's funny. Just admit you're having a bad day, man. Like, because now I'm going to feel like a jerk if I say I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Oh, my God. I. Mm. <laughs> so, this is really funny. This leads into... So, I had this ex-girlfriend who... Uh, I was worried that because I was, like, you know, broke and struggling in L.A. Uh, and, like, not... Things were just not working out. I was like, I'm going to give up... She was Catholic. I was like, I'm going to give up complaining for Lent. And she thought that this was passive aggressive, that I was trying to <laughs> tell her to shut the fuck up and stop oh, complaining. No. But I actually was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop complaining so that I can make space for you to complain as much as you want. And I'll just listen instead of like <laughs> trying to make it about me or whatever it is. But also I was like, I don't think that my complaining is allowing me to do anything. Like it's not actually helping me do anything. Like, and sometimes I I'll treat complaining like it's me fixing the problem when in reality I'm just like denying what reality is showing me which is i probably need to do something Mm -hmm. right um Mm -hmm. and so that's where i came at it from and for her she just started getting really uncomfortable complaining and she thought that i was like mad at her for complaining she thought that i was thinking that i was better than her for complaining and i was like none of this is what my intention was but like it was so interesting because like i ended up around a bunch of people afterwards who just didn't complain and it wasn't like this like oh it's so great that nobody complains i was just like some people complain to commiserate but now I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who don't complain and sometimes they're good vibes only people and I really don't like that. And some people who like, you know, just don't complain because they're like, it doesn't do me any good to complain. And like, it was interesting. Like mm-hmm. that behavior, not complaining, comes from so many different places. But depending on where you're coming at it from, like it, it colors how you perceive other people doing it in the same way that like if you complain to commiserate, like you complain because you're just having a time talking to your friends, you're connecting mm-hmm. with them about the experience, the reality of your day. Yeah. A person who doesn't want to complain with you seems like a jerk, right? They're like, what do you mean you don't want to talk about your day? You don't want to talk shit about that person who was actually an asshole to us or whatever it was. Yeah. Like we're connecting over, we're bonding over the real thing that happened. Yeah. yeah. Because sharing negative experiences is a type of intimacy and vulnerability. So denying someone access to your negative feelings and experiences is like limiting your intimacy in some way. And that can be a useful boundary that you're entitled to set. But I think we do have to acknowledge that that's a limit on intimacy in some way. 
I agree. I think that, and what's interesting is I've been trying to figure out how to engage in this, like, I will be grateful for each moment and I will, you know, be, uh, you know, like aware of the joy and the suffering in each moment. And I will be honest about my experience because like, I actually love it when people are capable of being vulnerable with me, who can be sad with me, who can be angry with me, who can Mm -hmm. express themselves fully. Um, and who I can express myself with, Mm -hmm. but I don't often have, you know, like super strong, angry moments. I don't often have super strong, sad moments. And I just, I mean, like every, I guess what this really comes down to, like anything else is just a desire to be accepted, like as Mm -hmm. I am. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I think my gratitude for all of it is not like trying to distance myself from the negative, but rather like trying to embrace the negative so nobody has to distance themselves from the negative. Right. And it's, it's interesting how even then, like people will still experience their own negative as a negative that they must distance from you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just like, oh, oh, you, maybe you just can't solve the problem and not like it needs to be a problem or like it needs to be solved, but it's like, I love these bells in the distance, but it's like, maybe you just have to deal with that. Maybe that's just one of the ways of being right. That like, there will be some negative experiences. You have no control over them, uh, extrinsically, Mm -hmm. but like within yourself, you can always respond however you want to respond. And that's, that's what the gift is, right. Of inner peace, right. Mm -hmm. That you have it within you. And maybe like, just maybe other people can experience you know, their own versions, brands of inner peace when they can. Mm-hmm. And you get to appreciate that. And that's all you really get. You don't really get to solve the problems of the world. You just get to make peace with them within yourself and make peace with the actions that you're going to choose. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes we look to other people for permission to feel the way we do about negative things. Mm. And so I think sometimes that's why it can be extra frustrating to have someone respond to your negative experience feelings with like well but life is great or every or um because it can feel like judgment like if I come to you and I'm like I've Mm -hmm. had a really terrible day I'm really sick uh or this has happened and they're like oh well at least you have this that can that person might think they're trying to cheer me up but what I would hear from that is oh you're wrong for feeling bad about that it would sound like a judgment it's interesting part of me wonders if like because I mean like I have I, that's how I would talk to myself, right? Mm. Of course. Like, that's that's how I would be like, I'm like, oh, man, I hurt my back. But at least I, I can still dance. And then I would dance, right? And enjoy mm-hmm. that I can dance. But I'm not telling anybody whose back is injured that they should dance through the pain. I'm not telling you to do that. <laughs> I am not encouraging you to dance through the pain, especially if your doctor has told you not to dance through the pain, anybody listening to this podcast. Um, but I'm realizing that, like, giving myself permission to feel everything that I feel, but then choosing, you know, like my response Mm -hmm. is not the same, um, as accepting everything the other person feels and then choosing my response Mm -hmm. to what they've said, because I think what needs to happen and what probably is the disconnecting factor for me is that like, I need to figure out like, maybe what it is for that person to feel accepted with whatever it is that they choose. Mm. 
Yeah. I think that's, maybe that's what, what's been the missing ingredient the entire time, is that, like, I'm accepting what you choose. And it's funny, too, because that's, that's triggering its own way, right? Like, a person who accepts whatever it is that you choose to feel is, like, possibly not caring about you. Like, mm. you should fight me on this. Or, like, <sighs> you should try to cheer me up. What the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, that's the difference for me. I'm, like, I'm at peace with whatever the person chooses for me or how, how they choose to respond. Yeah. But, like, but, like, I'm just baffled by the fact that, like, they're not at peace with whatever I chose in response to them. Like, and I can't, I can't relive each moment six times, right? And, like, right. Come, like, I can't hit the reset button and see what would have happened if I had picked something else. But I always, oh, that's, I kind of wish I could do that, right? Like, just, just hit yeah. the reset button and see if I could choose my own adventure, my way through life. Yeah. You just bookmark the last page, go back and see what would have happened if I had picked something else. Like, is there a right answer? Well, I, I mean, I guess ideally you could ask the person what they want or need in that moment. It's like, are you just looking to vent? Do you want me to cheer you up? Do you want me to help you solve this problem? Like, but that's also presuming the person knows what they need. Yes. They may actually legitimately be like, I'm bringing this emotion to you because I don't know what to do with it. And then they may legitimately want you to help them figure out how to feel about it. Yeah. I think actually, you know what? That's such a simple solution. Like, you know what I'm realizing? Mm -hmm. There's, because I've read all these books, right? And you have all these tools. Mm -hmm. That is very specifically one of the tools that I'm supposed to have as a result of reading these books. It's being able to, like, you know, ask the person. And something that I've realized is that some of these things that I've read came at a time where we didn't really realize, I suppose, like, as a culture, as people. Like, yo, did you realize that, like, a person who is an adult and who is incapable of choosing, like, a conflict resolution with you is not trying to resolve the conflict with you and therefore you might need to remove yourself because they might engage in toxic behavior when they are suffering, even if they're not mm-hmm. toxic when they're not suffering. Like, it's like we kind of forget about um, respecting your ability to connect with that person. Like sometimes they're like sometimes you're not the person who who can be mm. that for them, and like yeah. sometimes like even though so many other parts of your relationship are great, like maybe that's a thing that you need. You need somebody who is capable of having the self knowledge to say yes, I know what I want from you in this moment, and to make peace with the fact that they may have picked the wrong thing rather than being like, well, you know what, I wish you had been smart enough to know in like intrinsically right I wish you could have told from my tone what I wanted from you or needed from you in that moment you know what I mean yeah like you don't need you don't need to be exposing yourself to a relationship where you feel like there's a a toxic what if experience that's happening and it's so funny that I'm like yeah of course well duh like you're looking for somebody who's whose problem-solving skills match yours in a way where it's not extra suffering to experience each other there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, like, the problem. Like, if you're taking care of someone when they're sick and they, like, ask for something you know is going to be bad for them. Like, if you know they're really dehydrated and then they ask you for coffee, you know, that's, that's going to make you more dehydrated. But that's what they really want. And if you fight them on it and don't give them coffee, they're going to feel not taken care of. Mm-hmm. Then if you give them coffee, you know that you're not really meeting their physical needs. Yeah. And so then there's that problem. So then do you just, like, walk away and be like, find someone else to give you coffee? <laughs> or do you give them coffee? Or do you deny their need to ask and receive help and feel in control of their own healing? You know what I love? 
the moment, like, you know, two days later when they're better or worse, and they're like, man, remember when I said I wanted Gavi? I know you were right. I'm so sorry. Or, like, the person who's like, <laughs> remember when I said I wanted coffee, and then you wouldn't give it to me, and then I drank it, and I felt like shit for three more days. Bro, it was fucking <laughs> hilarious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you never know what the actual, like, it's, you, like, like, you're, I'm, I think I'm always looking for closure on these moments, and mm-hmm. then realizing that, like, there's never really closure on these moments. No. Like, it just, life just keeps happening. And, like, there's no absolute reference point of which there's a perfect answer that you have access to as an, you know, as a subjective perspective point as a human being. Yeah. Right? You're never going to know what the absolute right answer is. Um, and you're never going to be able to see all the possibilities that came as a result of you picking or not picking the absolute right answer. You mm-hmm. just are going to keep living your life and keep not knowing. And that's just how it is. Yeah. And it's like, I guess that like, you know, brings us back to this original, you know, conversation piece. What is the purpose of conversation, right? Is mm-hmm. it, is it uh, this collective contextualization, like relating, you know, subjectively? Or is it like that um, uh, organizational, like, individual use? And I think that it's like, that's that's subjective right it's like <laughs> i guess that's the answer yes like it's it's got like it's got purposes it could be either and like some language is better than for one purpose than it is for the other but like mm. that's that's really what it is it's it's either yes right and you just have to make peace with the fact that it's either yeah you have to make peace with the fact that some people will do better at communicating with you than others no matter how much you care about any of them Mm-hmm. And you have to make peace with the fact that you never know how great of a communication experience you're going to end up having with another individual. But I think that there are people like me and like everybody else, right? Uh, when I say it like me, I was going to say who feel disconnected from everybody else, which is everybody. You feel disconnected from everybody, everybody. else? Everybody. Yes. I constantly feel super disconnected from people. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? That's it's, really surprising. It's baffling to a lot of people that I feel very disconnected. But I constantly feel like like I'm failing to, to successfully connect with people. I constantly feel like... Um, I can't, there's this song by Dawes. Um, and it's, a, it's about this girl mm-hmm. who just feels a little bit disconnected from everybody. But she's like... But most people don't realize that everybody, that, that most people, oh, most people, I think the song is called Most People by Dawes mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and it kind of goes like most people feel the same way um, about how this girl feels, which is somewhat disconnected as she like goes about her day. And I think maybe what I'm going to do, I'm going to find that song or you guys can go find that song um, and listen to it. But it literally, I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's so perfectly ca- encapsulates how I feel. Wait, so you think you feel just as disconnected as everyone else, or you think you feel more disconnected than everyone else? I think that everybody feels more disconnected than they are, and that intrinsically connects them. Mm. So you think other people understand us better than we think they do? I think other people... This is such a funny, like... (laughs) (laughs) I think other people understand the feeling of being disconnected, Mm-hmm. And I think there are some people who focus on the disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think the people who focus on how disconnected they feel, whether they try to fix it or not, don't realize how many other people also feel so disconnected and just really wish they could connect. Mm. And I think that that feeling um, is just kind of like, for me, I didn't think of myself as feeling lonely. Mm. Um, But I don't really feel like lonely, like I need people to be around me. Mm-hmm. I feel lonely often, like, I just love all the people and things on this planet so much, and I wish they would just, I wish that people could be better to each other so that, like, the less people would suffer. I wish that, like, more people could be capable of doing what they love. I wish that more people mm-hmm. could, you know, um allow themselves to let go of the rules that don't make them happy so long as they're not intentionally harming people and we could just have more kindness and more you know like connection Mm -hmm. I like I wish all of these like I have so many like just I wish so many good things for the people around me all the time and it just makes me sad that that people are constantly suffering because they have to keep themselves safe because they have to keep themselves at a distance and I think that like Mm -hmm. plenty of people hear that and go I feel that way too Mm mm-hmm And I'm like, yeah, apparently we all feel this way, but none of us trust other people enough to, like, one, admit it, and two, like, you know, do something about it. (laughs) Okay, cool. Yeah. That's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) But I, although I guess if we all want what's best for each other, that's, that's a nice thing, but... Right? That sounds really sad. Well, I I think that, like, sometimes we get a little stuck on what's, um, like, I I think there's so many people, like, if you talk to, like, if a little kid told the president that they felt the way that I feel, right? Like, I feel like if I had said this to somebody when I was, like, six years old, right? Like, if I was just like, all I want is for everybody to get along and be happy, they would be like, we all want everybody to get along and be happy. But then, like, he'd be like... (laughs) to the camera crew did you get that on tape and then like you know he'd go back to his war room and be like look for the sake of all americans to be happy because i can't save the rest of the world i've got to build more nukes and then bomb iran you know what i mean like yeah like that's that's how i feel i feel like there like i don't know that anybody hears that sentiment and isn't like in a self-hating like or like resentful space Mm -hmm. around humanity like anybody who's not feeling super resentful towards other people probably identifies with the idea that more people should be able to be happy, right? Um, well, I think the disconnect comes in the reasons why we think that isn't yeah. happening. Yes. Like, is it because people individually aren't taking enough responsibility? Is it because the ways we're turning on each other? Is it because of that person or that country over there? Which is right. some of it, but... I think our minds have been hijacked by stories. Um, in the sense that, like... Like, uh, I was reading the book Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, and he was like, the thing that connects people, and like, the thing that we, that makes us different from other animals, is that we have stories that allow people who literally don't speak the same language to go, ah, but we believe in the same God, so we are Christian brothers, and we will be kind to each other. Mm. And people who don't, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you have, like, a black American and, like, a, a white American who see each other as, like, a problem because, like, racism... But then you have that same white American going to Africa to, like, do a mission trip to help their African Christian brothers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you also had American Christian brothers in that neighborhood down the Mm -hmm. way that you were afraid were going to rob you. And you didn't come into their church and say, hey, my church has extra resources. We'd love to help you guys out. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
it's the story that you tell yourself about that person. So, like, you can see a person... Like, and money is another story that we tell ourselves, right? Because, like, money has sort of this nebulous value. It shifts constantly. Um, you could have a piece of... You could have a lump of gold and some person will pay you, like, you know, hundreds of dollars for it because it's worth hundreds of dollars. And some person would be like, this is a useless lump of metal. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And they'd, like, mm-hmm. throw it in a river. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, I think it comes down to how we reconcile the problem of scarcity and how we understand it. And does is scarcity a problem only for survival? Is, or is scarcity also a problem for happiness? Like, is are survival and happiness both zero-sum games? Are neither of them zero-sum games? Does my happiness build yours or take from yours? Does my survival contribute to yours or take from yours? Mm. And I think the tendency to view them as zero-sum games is basically a hindrance to us, but it's become our easiest way of understanding how to get those things. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. I think when I, when I observe, like, like, there are certain things, like, so there's a time where capitalism, um, like usury, the idea that you were going to charge interest for a loan or Mm -hmm. for lending was a crime. They're like, there's no extra pie like, you know what I mean? Like, you're asking for more pie than exists, right? Mm-hmm. But we literally live in an economy now. We live in a world built on interest, right? right. We live in a world where we leverage the future against today, mm-hmm. right? And it's so interesting how that leaves us, you know, reaching for more and sort of spiraling out of control in some ways and depleting things that, like, we didn't think of as... We thought of them as infinite, but they're they're finite resources, right? It's just mm-hmm. like we were like, oh, there's just always... We act like there's always going to be oil because for us there was just so much oil that it didn't really matter how much of it we used when we start when we found it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now we live at a point where it's like, actually, we've got to be careful because we have a lot of energy sources that are non-renewable and we need to make sure that we don't run out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody's saying like, hey, entrepreneurs, find ways to like... We're, we're, we're stopping anything that does not, that is non-sustainable. You know what I mean? Like we, and I mean, like, I think happiness is not like that, but I think that, um, that like resources that people need to feel secure so they can feel happier like that. But I think there are people like me who have been like, you know what? I surrender to insecurity, um, which sounds very not Torian of me. Um, but like I surrender to the insecurity, I will go places and trust that I will be fine. Um, and I will be okay with the consequences of my actions, whatever they are. Mm. Um, and it's, I think that's, yeah, I don't know. I think that's important because like there, there are ways to shift the way that we're engaging with possibility such that like we would have more space and time and whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if we were to just really swap to renewable resources, Right. Like we wouldn't have a lot of the scarcity problems or like fear based, you know, interactions that we have around scarcity of power. Mm -hmm. Right. We wouldn't have a lot of struggles over power. Mm -hmm. Anything that is oil related would be basically it would be rendered an obsolete problem. It'd be like, stop fighting in this way. We our cars run on water or hydrogen. Our car, you know, like our or uh yeah, we, we power the electric ones with solar energy or wind, you know what I mean? Or hydroelectric. Like, we only use things, like, we... <laughs> it's funny, like, when you think about it, like, how much energy do we get from the sun? Like, we get more energy from the sun, like, in a day than, like, we get from any of the resources that we have in a year. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if we could 
ex- if we could figure out a way to like absorb more solar energy, like we'd be fine, but we haven't figured it out, so we don't, so we're not fine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not, it's maybe less of a scarcity than a problem of access. Yes. And I think a lot of people lack, like, a lot of people sort of accept the way that the world was when they came into it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was thinking about this, like, I accept the way that the world was when I came into it, but if I come into it earlier or later, like, early 90s, there were still a lot of weird, creepy race things happening in San Francisco, right? Mm. But I noticed that, like, several years later, when my little sister and, like, the other, like, because there were, like, three black kids in my school, me, my little sister, and my older sister, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I noticed that, like, there were problems that happened, like, between kids my age that Mm -hmm. did not happen with kids who were slightly younger than us. Like, the kids Mm -hmm. who were slightly younger than us we're just more woke than we were. Yeah. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, nobody's ever come up to you and said, you know, X kind of thing. They're like, why would anybody say that? <laughs> like, like <laughs> it was interesting, too. Like, me discussing this problem and, like, all of these, like, you know, white kids just being like, the kids in your grade said that. Like, they wanted to fight the people who had been mean to me. Mm. Like, and I was, like, stunned. I was like, these kids are so appalled like and this is like this is like two three year difference they are so appalled by the behavior of the kids in my grade that they wanted to fight those kids they were upset that i let the kid in my who like the other black kid know that that had happened they were like that's not supposed to happen Mm -hmm. like they were upset that that could happen to that kid Mm -hmm. and i was like wow what an exchange yeah like i was not prepared for that at all especially because like you know the kids a grade ahead of me like went out of their way to like figure out a new racist joke to tell in my presence Mm. you know what i mean and that's like one year up from me three years away from me and it was like stunning to me yeah 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 the 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 great like the generational difference and also regional difference can Mm. be really striking yeah just having moved here from north carolina i mean i haven't experienced a whole lot of the city because shut down but just like some of the brief interactions i don't know like i've I'm out in every workplace I am now, and, like, mm-hmm. I, it took me a long time to come out in my workplaces in North Carolina and was still kind of sketchy about it, and I had friends who got fired for being queer and stuff. Um, and just that it's so different. Even the same time, even the same generation. It's just like, oh, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it stuns me because I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm just like, ah, so I was born at a time where, in a place where, you know, progressive to this point, and I see the world from that lens, like, Mm -hmm. and then I recognize, like, I have to alter it and recognize where I am and who I'm with, um, and maybe I don't, maybe sometimes I have to go, no, I'm standing up for who I am, and I'm standing up for who I am where I am, Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do, but sometimes I'm like, I don't have the power to solve anything except I'm just gonna get my ass kicked, so I'm not gonna do that, Yeah, I will not be queer here, (laughs) I will, I will hide in a, I will hide, um, and it's like, it's weird because of how much we do or don't um, accept. And, like, I think we're, we're also conditioned to, like, recognize where we can and will not be accepted. Yeah. Um, and I think we're also tuned to um, have negativity bias, right? We're, we're assuming, we, we keep ourselves safe mm. by, by assuming that we're not as safe, we're not as connected, we're not as whatever as, mm. you know, we might be. Um, and we need to like let little moments build up trust 
And I think maybe that's, it's like that's a lot to do while also observing all of the infinite possibilities of greatness that could be achieved. It's like, yeah, but also where are you today? What's going on now? Where have you been? Are you safe here today? Is it safe to explore possibilities or do you just need to deal with the realities that you have? And I think that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like how locked into just surviving our reverses like how are we examining potential to thrive yeah i think there's also kind of an innate hubris to assume we're always the ideological center and see the rest of the world as on either side of us mm-hmm. or either side of our experience it's like whatever i've experienced or however i feel is the base level and then the world is made up of people who feel just conceptually to the left of me or to the right of me or mm-hmm. more radical or less radical or and we're just like, well, not, I'm the center, and then there's those people over there, and those people over there. You're telling me not everybody loves everybody and wants to be connected? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think they want to, but they're scared to. I think they want to, and they're scared to, too. There's a whole thing that, oh, when we close this podcast out, I'll probably talk to you about the, um, how I experience different, like, levels of, of, like, uh, emotional consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um... And it's like, it has to do with how I think our, our governments kind of exist in a space of, of fear. Mm-hmm. Like they, mm-hmm. they function on a binary and it, it, because of the way that they, they process the world and they teach uh, society to process the world. And so if you have only made it to a point of uh, like um, good, bad reasoning that is mm-hmm. like, functioning around like the law and what uh society government structure tells you Mm -hmm. uh you're always going to end up sort of like you're always going to end up in a space of making decisions from fear Mm -hmm. and you're also going to end up sort of stuck because um people can't um the government does what it does to protect itself. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing for the most people might be what the government needs to do, or the best thing for the elite might be what the government needs to do. It's kind of like mm-hmm. fascism is legal when you have a fascist government, right? right like right. slavery is legal when your economy is focused or is based on slavery. Like it, mm-hmm. the, the highest, whatever your the highest good of the day is, right? Whatever the most, you know progressive individuals are looking for like it probably like it's fine to not give them what they want because that's not what's in the interest of the government at the time or whatever it is so you have to like have a have a moral ethical system that internally that goes beyond what yeah yeah you have to be able to choose good for yourself right well it kind of makes sense that fear would be inherent in government because that's just the social contract theory that the whole point of government is giving up freedom in exchange for a certain level of security. Yeah. And if security is the ultimate goal of government, then all their decisions are going to be made in the interest of some form of safety and thus be motivated by fear. Yeah. Well, that's trash. Um, <laughs> I'm an anarchist signing off. <laughs> Stevie, thank you so much for recording a podcast episode with me. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, illuminating and super fun and uh, we should do that again yeah. there's yeah the app that I have that I'm doing this with lets us literally I could literally call you at any time you could literally call me up and be like hey I've got an idea and we could just record an episode amazing yeah um thanks guys for having us I, is there anything that you'd like to promote before this closes out 
Um, in normal times, I do stand-up, but I don't have any shows right now, but, uh... Okay. <laughs> so at some point, I'm going to convince the staff to make, like, I don't know, stand-up videos or a stand-up <laughs> podcast. I don't know if you could do stand-up. Or a comedy podcast. And then you guys will find that. I will let you know when it's happening. Sweet. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs>